0: Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing our look. We're finishing up uh, the ninth chapter of Matthew today. Um, it's only taken, what, ten weeks to get through nine chapters? I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Something like that, anyway. Um, we started, yeah, so it would be all, the, all uh, since Christmas, so... Um, Today, what we're going to look at is just like sort of the, the finale of um, the, the ninth chapter, and the, the heading on it is, The Harvest is Plentiful and the Laborer's Few. So Jesus went out through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So he's up in, in, the, that, uh, in the Galilee region is where this is all happening all this is happening outside of jerusalem apart from jerusalem and so um jesus is beginning to gather people to he, he's obviously the the pharisee statement from that we looked at yesterday he casts out demons by the prince of demons apparently that didn't have much influence in that region because he, he went through all the cities and villages teaching in the synagogues so he was quite welcome at this time in the synagogues to come and speak And not only did he proclaim the gospel of the kingdom in words, he also healed every disease and affliction, which is exactly what um, Isaiah's uh, gotten. Isaiah's (laughs) epistle says, not epistle, the the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah sixty one tells exactly that story. That that's what's going to happen when Messiah comes, and it's the in Luke four we see Jesus taking this mantle on himself and, and saying, now watch me. And, and here's the uh, what he says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And so the way that that he's going to do this is is that the kingdom of God brings wholeness and so the healing is an important part of this. It's not just the proclamation itself. The inbreaking of the, of the kingdom of God is, is when people become whole. And it's not just a belief thing. It's also a physical thing because God's going to restore things to the way he intended that they would be. And that would include healing diseases and afflictions and, and, and driving out these demons. Like Jesus, we've already seen him do it twice. And so it, the, the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom is, is proven to be true by the work that he does in healing diseases and afflictions. And again, I, I, I will say for the millionth time, it should be an important part of the work of the church to pray for people, to lay hands on, on the sick, and, and to see God move and to heal. In those circumstances and then the more important part beyond that is to celebrate the goodness of God and the power of God and the breaking in of his kingdom it's something to be celebrated you know it's it, it we sometimes take these things too lightly I believe it really ought to be an instrumental part of the work of every church should be this looking for the in breaking of the kingdom in the world today that, it, that, that healing should be a part of everything that we do. We, we should come expectantly with faith that Jesus can heal in the world today. It, it's, it's not that that they're, um, they're expected in every case, because otherwise it wouldn't be a sign in the same way. And so I do believe that it's important that we do these kinds of things. When you see the early church, that's exactly what you see, is the proclamation is attended by power, that God's moving among them, not just in people's minds and hearts, but in their lives, because these things all matter to God. And so we need to be, I think, more focused on that. Um, we, We need to be more faithful in that because it, one of the other things is that it, that it truly attracts people when, when people are getting healed, when miracles are happening, that, that it attracts people to it and it, and it strengthens the faith of those who already believe. So I, I believe it's, an it should be an important part of the church's ministry, um, that we should be expecting in, in our prayer for others. And we should be bold when we come before the throne. Um, because Jesus is, is still active in the world today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and I, I do believe that those things should be not common, but, but they should be a part of our experience. And we should pray with faith for healings and all those other kinds of things. And, and I believe then we'll begin to, to see God moving in the world today. And so, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That that he had compassion on them is the motivation in in a couple of different instances for Jesus to feed the multitudes who are following him. That they've they've decided to come and be with him because of what he's doing and what he's saying. And so they they they're away from the the. Uh, cities and towns and things like that, and so Jesus will feel compassion and he will feed them. But here, again, sometimes Matthew is very direct when he tells us um, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Sometimes it's just clear if you know the Word of God that he's saying this. And so here again, this is another one of those places, like I showed you yesterday from Isaiah 35, 5, and 6, when when he heals the blind and uh, the deaf, mute, then um, you, you see that is a fulfillment of that prophecy from Isaiah thirty-five uh, verses five and six, and and now here it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now you can kind of go okay, I get that imagery, but it's more than just imagery. <laughs> It's the fulfillment of prophecy from Ezekiel, and I'm going to read a significant portion of that to you because I want you to see just how clearly this is tracking, and and Matthew's obviously intending to allude to this. And so it's just over and over and over, Matthew is is appealing to uh, the knowledge of Scripture among the Jews to whom this is at least partially addressed. So this is um, Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, which are the leaders of the people, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you haven't strengthened, the sick you haven't healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the wild beasts my sheep were scattered they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with no one to search or seek for them therefore you shepherds hear the word of the lord as i live declares the lord god surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I'll require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I'll rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they shall not be food for them. So when when Matthew tells us here, that Jesus sees that, they, that he feels compassion because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, almost every single Jew who read that would know exactly what that meant and know, oh, this is the fulfillment of um, Ezekiel 34. It's that situation. It's the same now as it was in the time of Ezekiel. That's exactly what they would have thought. And so it's one thing to have something against the shepherds, But then here's what God continues with. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on days of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I'll bring them into their own land. And I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I'll feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they will feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be their shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I'll seek the lost. I'll bring back the strayed. I'll bind up the injured. I'll strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And so what you hear then in the, in the, in the Matthew uh, passage is that fulfillment. Jesus is that shepherd, and that's what Matthew's pointing us to. And that shepherd, clearly, that language, I'll make him lie down, I'll give him rich pasture and all that, clearly that alludes to Psalm 23, right? The, the good shepherd. And Jesus is going to say, I am the good shepherd. Well, there's only one good shepherd, and that's God himself. And so here, Matthew's using this imagery to point us back to that passage from Ezekiel. And, and he, he wants us to see, oh, that's right. Who else said that God's people were like sheep without a shepherd? Ah, Ezekiel said that in his day. It was that way, and God had to come in and, and, and uh, intervene in that. Zechariah speaks of many of the same kinds of images. And, and here then we get that, that Jesus sees that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so he is going to fulfill those prophecies to be the good shepherd, and he's going to bind up the injured. He's going to strengthen the weak. He's going to do all the things that the good shepherd does, including seeking out the lost and finding them and bringing them into the sheepfold. So even when Matthew is not obvious about Jesus' fulfillment of prophecy— he's very obvious. <laughs> to, to a Jew who knew the Word of God, that would have been an incredibly obvious statement of, of the identity of Jesus. They would, nobody would have questioned that he's pointing in that direction. So after that, after Jesus has compassion, um, he turns to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And so it's, it's interesting because you see this in one other place. It's one of those rare things that you'll see in John's gospel as well, that you, that, that you see in the synoptics. And so this statement about the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few in John's gospel, the setting for that is in uh, Samaria. Actually, it's in John 4 with the Samaritan woman at the well. And as the people of the town are coming out to the well, after the woman has gone and given testimony, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. When, as they're coming out, Jesus is watching them come out. And the, ta- the whole town's coming out, and he looks at the disciples and says this very thing. And so here, it's very much the same thing, because we, he sees the crowds coming, and he, and he sees this, and, and there's proof in his words that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. That, that he, He's basically saying, guys, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. You just got to show up to get this harvest. Now, is that true in our day? I believe that it could possibly be true in our day, but, but I believe that we have to pray for two things. I, have to, I believe we have to pray for repentance in the church. We have to pray— and ask him to forgive our failure our failure to go and seek the lost the failure to, um, to 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 seriously preach the gospel in a lot of ways for the compromise that we've made in 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 our churches in on the gospel on 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 issues of the Word of God the compromise that we've made in order to attract a crowd the the compromise we've made in dispensing cheap grace you know sort of um, grace without repentance. And we've given away the things of God on the cheap. And I think we have to repent of those things, and we have to acknowledge that we've, we've stood by and stood apart while the world went to hell in a handbasket, and the culture around us did. And, and I think we, we need to take responsibility for that, because we've failed to stand and in some cases, we fail to stand for the least of these. You know, it's, it's the one place. It's sort of the, like the final frontier, right, <laughs> at some level, that the battleground that the church is fighting is over abortion. And I'm, and I'm thrilled to see that we're fighting over that. But, but even then, the people don't like to get involved in that fight because they don't want the cultural um, stigma attached to them for being one of those people. There's all kinds of things we don't want that social stigma attached to, so we go soft on these issues. And, and then we, don't, we wonder why the culture is, is lost. Well, it's because we don't stand for anything way too much of the time. I mean, there are great churches out there, don't get me wrong, but, but way too often we have capitulated a culture in ways that, that's absolutely just disgusting, and we failed to stand for truth. And so that, that's where things have to begin, I believe. We have to begin on our knees. We have to begin by praying and confessing our own sins, and we have to return to Him. And then we have to pray that the Lord would send out laborers for the harvest, and that we would see that, that in-gathering that I believe is there. Um, we're, we're in some ways in an opportune moment, because as the culture becomes less and less Christian—you know, Flannery O'Connor used to talk about the South as not being Christian so much as it was Christ-haunted— and, and her meaning there was is that that it it lived on the memory of <laughs> it, it, it had a form of religion it was it was the morals were were not because uh, necessarily a, a conviction that that God had a, per, a particular way of life for us but it was running on the fumes of God's word and and so now it had become more cultural to have morals and manners, than it was a commitment to the covenant relationship with the living God who had given life to his people. And, and I believe that that we've moved past, in in so much of the United States at least, and, and also in the West generally, we've moved past that cultural moment of being Christ-haunted to the point today, people don't even know the story. that they're, they're familiar with Jesus, and they'll say things like, he was a great moral teacher. Well, then you should follow that. You should commit to more than that, and understanding if he's a great moral teacher, where did it come from then but we need to be clearer about the the importance of the decision about two years ago it was three years ago now actually um I was having a conversation with somebody when I was working at an Amazon, and the person had been listening to a very popular uh leader of a church and um she was really excited. She said, "I'm not a religious person, but I've been listening to this guy and I've read all his books over the last 18 months. I'm looking forward to seeing him. He's gonna he was going to appear at um, at Yankee Stadium, actually, um, and, and she was excited about that. But the problem was COVID um, threatened to to keep that from happening, and did ultimately. But we, as we talked, she talked about how much hope she had gotten from his messages and how much better she felt after hearing him and reading." His books and and then the next thing she said to me was now I don't know what to make about Jesus but I just feel better you know and I'm working for Amazon doing customer service at this point and and my response was well uh, man I'm probably gonna get fired for this but it's that it's that important that I'm willing to risk my job for it and that is is that the only decision you really have to make in this life is what do you make of Jesus I'm sorry that you've been listening to this person and read all his books over the last 18 months and haven't felt the urgency and the necessity of making that decision. But but I'm telling you now, it's the most important decision. And you you have to get that straight in your mind if you're going to have eternal life. And we've got to be, we've got to sense that urgency. You know, like as Chuck Murphy used to say, um, time is short, hell is hot, and the stakes are high. We need to feel that. We need to own that. And we need to live that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.